Hello and welcome to Verge ESP, a podcast about art and science on The Verge. My name is Emily Yoshida. I am the entertainment editor at The Verge. I'm Liz Lopato. I'm the science editor at The Verge. And Liz Lopato also recently baptized in the light of our great patron saint, Beyonce Knowles. Literally baptized. I was in uh, I was in the splash zone for the Beyonce concert. <laughs> splash zone. Just yeah. splashed by magnificence. Um, yeah. I mean, so uh, I apologize to anybody who feels that I can possibly spoil a Beyonce concert, but I'm going to spoil <laughs> the Beyonce concert. So I had, I had seen her perform before, um, but this was my first time seeing her at, in an arena setting, and it's bonkers. I can only uh, imagine. <laughs> Um, there was a big monolith that rotated with video images that like occasionally opened up and people came out of. Um, there there was like the the uh, runway and then like a smaller stage. And near the end of the show, she does freedom, followed by independent women part one, a personal favorite Destiny's Child song. And the choreography uh, calls for water. And so there's a pool, <laughs> like an ankle deep pool in the secondary stage. And all of the dancing involves splashing and oh kicking my up God. water. Oh my uh, God! Water dancing is like the best. <laughs> I've been, I've I've loved a good water-based choreography bit since um, Step Up to the Streets, um, uh-huh. uh, which has a wonderful climactic dance battle in rain. Uh, that's awesome, man. Uh, I mean. My- Oh, I mean, my favorite part of the use of water is that there was a move where the dancers all dipped their heads forward and then did full mermaid hair flips with the water trailing behind them. Wow. That's um, made for, like, the photo op of just the incredible black and white Getty photo of, like, a dancer with their head in the, like, with the water flying off of it. And mm-hmm. I mean, Beyonce is one of those performers, and I think there was sort of a controversy around this, around her Super Bowl performance, her her official Super Bowl performance, not the one that she basically took over from uh, from Coldplay this last year. Um, her but, second Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> her, her unofficial second Super Bowl. But, um, but the one that she actually headlined, uh, the, the, I remember there being a little bit of, I don't know, there was some kind of uh, controversy around the fact that she was not allowing certain photos of herself or her team was not allowing certain photos to be published. There were some that were deemed, like some Getty photos that were deemed unattractive by her team. And so they were getting removed from the Getty system or like people had to replace their photos on news sites and stuff. But generally, I mean, whether or not it's being vetted or not, she tends to photograph very well while she's performing um, in kind of an uncanny way. So I can only imagine what this looks like. Yeah, it was pretty remarkable. I mean, there were like there were lots of moments that were great. This is not my first time seeing Beyonce, um, I think I mentioned, but uh, I had never seen the full production with like the fireworks. And there were flames that shot out. Um, and like all of the pyrotechnics and all of that. Um, and she like clearly, I guess I was really impressed by how clearly she had thought about every possible sight line that could occur in the arena. Oh, yeah. Because if it didn't really matter whether you had good seats or not, because she definitely had something that was going to be aimed directly at you. And like one of the nice things about the monolith was that because it rotated, you could often see two sides of it at once. Uh huh. Um, you could see like the corner. Yeah. And so like, 
you would you could get the wide shot of Beyonce with the dancers and then the close up of just Beyonce. And so that you could have both of those perspectives at the same time as well as looking down on the on her and the dancers on the stage. I have no perspective for this because um, I the first time I ever saw a big arena show was seeing Taylor Swift's Red Tour in, I think, 2013. I'd never gone to one, you know, as a teen or anything like that. I just they were always so expensive. Like I was never I remember once the Red Hot Chili Peppers played at the, the, the basketball arena in Iowa City. And that was like the first arena show I remember everybody going. <laughs> I missed out on it, darn. But uh, yeah, so I don't really know. Like, I can't compare, but it feels like, and this would make sense just because so much of the money is being made off of it. But I feel like, especially these big artists, the 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 tour, the the construction of the tour, the journey that the tour show takes you on is really really important. It almost needs to be more coherent than like building an album or building, uh, you know, having a, a really a monolithic album, uh, for lack of a better word. Like, it's more important the experience that you have for two hours while you're in this giant arena filled with other screaming fans. That's the thing that keeps you, like, you pay money for it because you're already a fan, but then it needs to be good enough to, like, make you feel like you made a good investment and you will continue to make that investment in that performer. That's right. I mean, I mean, it's been it's meant to reward you, yeah, for, totally. for being enough of a fan to come. And knowing um, all the songs and just getting to, like, feel great about being there with everybody being in a being in a community of of the beehive <laughs> i will say that the crowd is really great i had such a fun time um I bet. you know there's some there's some times where i go out to see a band and i discover the people that like the band are like not people i enjoy spending time with and i'm like oh that's a discovery i may never uh go to another one of these concerts yep. again um, I've lost track of that. how many times that's happened to me. <laughs> um, if it doesn't just actually make me not a fan of the band anymore. But uh, let's let's move on to another bit of news here, which is also, I mean, I feel like these are just diametrically opposed, but tell me. Um, right. So now that we're done talking about Beyonce, the other thing that I wanted to tell you about was a penis transplant. Sure. So, okay. So in, in fairness, penis transplants have happened before. Uh, this is just the first one in the U.S. Um, and it was at Mass General in Boston. But basically it was a 64-year-old patient who doctors had removed his penis because of cancer. And so they gave him a transplant uh, to see if that if that could work. Because, you know, there are certainly like, besides cancer patients, you know, you have people who've been in accidents, you have injured veterans, you have people who would like maybe to have a penis back mm-hmm. if they lost it or, or to have one if they didn't have one before. Yeah. So... You know, it's it's going to be a matter of time to to figure out how well this goes for the the patient. And I think the guy's name is Thomas Manning, but he should be able to just pee normally uh, within a couple of weeks, and regain sexual function in a couple of months. Wow. Yeah. That's. Is that like? I mean, that seems very unlikely. I don't know. I mean, I always hear about things get like you know transplants where something gets rejected and something, and it's different from it's different from like a blood transfusion, right? Like right. What are all the factors that determine whether or not you'd be able to have a successful transplant, penile or otherwise? Oh, man, there's so many things. So um, one of the things that, that happens when you get a transplant is you take immunosuppressant drugs so that your body won't reject the transplant. Mm-hmm. Um, and depending on the kind of transplant that you've you've had done, you may be taking those for the rest of your life. Oh, wow. <laughs> so so it's, it's, it's a very serious thing. And I, you know, there are a couple of different types of transplant as well. This one happened to be from a deceased donor. And typically, if you can, you 
like particularly if you're getting like a kidney transplant or something, it's actually better for you to get something from somebody who is live. I don't know why, uh, but it seems yeah. to it seems to transplant better. But yeah, he's going to have to take anti-rejection drugs for the rest of his life. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, and I think they're planning to do another one. Uh, this guy, his penis was destroyed basically by burns in a car accident. So as soon as there's a donor available, that'll be the the, the next person. And I, I think it, the cost was like fifty to seventy five thousand dollars. Wow. I mean, I, I I mean I don't know. Um, not having one, I wouldn't know the weirdness of not of having an unfamiliar one grafted onto you. But I imagine that's like another a whole other process aside from the actual medical process and taking the drugs and everything just the sort of I mean even for a hand or something I feel like it would be strange yeah I mean yes I think it would be strange I also do think that like I don't know I I, I think that at the same time like I'm trying to imagine what it would be like to have to go through my life without something that I was accustomed to having um Like, I, you know, like I know a lot of women, cancer patients in particular, get their breasts removed because right. that's that's how you get rid of the cancer, you know. And having your body altered in that radical way, like besides all of the pain that comes with the surgery and like the scars and all of that, I think can be really disorienting to your right. sense of who you are. Right. Right. Like this guy was talking about like how he hated that he like now had to sit down to pee, for instance. Mm-hmm. And like how how was he going to tell people like that he wanted to be romantically involved with? like what his situation was and right. like you know these are these are things that, that that people do have to think about and that people are coping with around us at all times like I, but but I, I maybe it's too embarrassing to discuss I don't know yeah. um so you know there's a part of me that's very sympathetic to to the idea of wanting to have a penis transplant if yours has been burned off because like this thing that like is part of your body that you probably have put it pretty close to your identity really just having it gone i think can be really traumatic yeah yeah well <laughs> i don't have any kind of transition for this we I, I i feel like this has been an ongoing conflict though i feel like we have surely talked about it already on the podcast i feel like we have definitely flicked at it yeah the, the the Ghostbusters film, uh, starring uh, with a, with an all female cast of Ghostbusters, is a thing that has been um, approaching for a while now, and I kind of wanted to talk about it because, again, for multiple different reasons, the debate around it, the very onerous debate around it, has been reignited this week. There was a new trailer. There was one particular film journalist who made a point of announcing that he would not be reviewing the film or seeing the film because the the very idea of it was so objectionable to him. And, you know, this kind of goes back to when it was originally reported that the first trailer was the most disliked movie trailer in YouTube history. It just really makes one think almost in a, in a more specific and I think pinpointable way than a political, a political disconnect, how much there are these different internets operating that can operate completely independent of each other oh man um, yeah because like you know what like i this is the first time i'm i'm hearing about some of this negativity because almost all of the people on the internet that i am a part of yeah have been enjoying the new trailer right yeah and i mean that was my understanding for a long time too i think i the, i think the negativity first started coming to my attention i think before i went on my set visit um my wonderful set visit you know i think that was when 
Paul Figg started uh, responding to some people on Twitter who were telling them that he was ruining their childhoods and, you know, actually started clapping back, which he's just been doing a lot. I mean, I feel like it must be exhausting. I don't know. I don't want he can do whatever he wants as a as an artist defending his work. I just feel like. Right. Well, so I'm having I'm having this weird thing, right, where like. I didn't think Blade Runner need to be needed to be remade. I need right. I didn't think a lot of movies needed to be remade. Oh, it kind of pissed me off, you know, whatever. Yeah. But I don't remember the like volume of fury that I'm seeing directed at Ghostbusters and it's literally just because they cast women in these parts instead of men and there's something extremely uncomfortable to me about that. Well, this is the thing is that when you start to get involved in a flame war with any um people who are not a fan of this movie, as I have done, <laughs> or, or been at least like aware of one that's happening, they'll stress it's not about the fact that there is an all-female cast. It's sure the fact isn't. that we, it's the fact that we just hate cash grab remakes and just how um, commercial Hollywood's gone. <laughs> I can't even say Nobody, nobody I can't lost say their minds like this. Like, <laughs> nobody lost their minds like this about Total Recall, which is a movie that absolutely did not need to be remade because the or first Robo one is perfect. Cop, or uh, or Star Wars, The like, Force no. Awakens, or no Star Trek. No one lost Trek. their minds. No one lost Star their minds. Star Trek movie. I mean, I'm trying so hard because I actually, I feel like... I feel like there are two two sort of tactics you can use when, when dealing with people with whom you violently disagree with on the internet. One is to just not, I mean, I think that it's, I think it's equally unhelpful when people who I agree with dismiss all of these folks as being, you know, man, children, baby nerds who live in their mother's basements. I don't think that that's a constructive way to forward this conversation. I And I, I think... I think it's very interesting, though, that that, that I cannot I, I mean, I just think that there is actually I think that people actually do believe that they don't have a problem with this film because of women. I think that they have convinced themselves of that. Or at least that has been the message that they have told themselves so much that they, they must accept it as their line. But I mean, it's an argument that falls apart. So I mean, I was even just trying to repeat it here, you know, for the benefit of our audience who might not be aware of like what the other side says. And I can't even do it with a straight face because it's so absurd. Like we're going to later on talk about the Angry Birds movie, the Angry Birds movie. They're making a movie about a game for the iPhone that like nobody plays anymore. But you're and, mad because a bunch of female comedians are remaking Ghostbusters. Cry yeah. me a fucking river. Shit, dude. Like <laughs> you know, like it's one of those things where I feel like it's useful to talk about implicit implicit bias, which is I think maybe something that people don't necessarily run into. Right. You know, it's it's bias in like your judgment and your behavior. It's like subtle cognitive stuff. Like you don't necessarily like run around all day like I hate women. You just think some things that have misogyny in them. You know what I yeah. mean? Like it's like it's like having attitudes or stereotypes that like often at, that operate at a level that's slightly below right. where you're paying attention. Well, right? I think a lot of these guys would not say they would not say I hate women or I I I I think that women should not be in films. But I bet if you ask them, do you think that movies made for women are not as generally as good as movies like targeted at, at a male audience? I think that they would probably agree with that. I think that I think that there's, yeah, I guess it's just like this very baked in bias that I nobody's going to actually 
nobody's going to ever say, yes, hi, I'm a misogynist. I mean, some of them will. Right. But like most of the people that we're talking about here are not are not the type to do that. It's just this really and that's the more dangerous thing. That's yes. the thing that that studio execs have. Studio well, execs it's... aren't going to say, oh, no, like like we hate women and we don't want to cater to women and we think that, that that all these actresses suck. But they will make decisions that belie a, a, a very, very deep bias. And that's well, the real reason people want this movie to succeed. Right. I mean, like the implicit bias is the sort of thing that doesn't necessarily it doesn't necessarily line up with our declared beliefs. It may right. even be in conflict with them. Right. And like we we tend to we tend to our implicit biases like favor the groups we're part of. Okay? Right. So if you're a dude, your implicit biases, guess guess what they favor. Yeah. <laughs> like I'll give you one guess. Uh, people who are like you, men. Yeah. Um but they change. Like that's the good news. Like they're malleable. We can learn we can learn how to deal with them, we can unlearn them, we can learn to identify them, all of those things. And so, you know, I, I, I really think that part of what we're seeing here is we're seeing a bunch of people who have an implicit bias against movies that are made for women, that cater to women in the way that many movies cater to men. I think we saw it with Mad Max. I think we saw it again yeah. with Magic Mike. I see, I think we're seeing it right now. And like, I just, I, like, if you are if you are one of our listeners and you are pissed about the Ghostbusters remake, I want you to think very hard why this remake is special and especially infuriating. Yeah. Why, why this is worse than the other shitty remakes that have been done recently. And if you can't, like, really come up with an, an, a reason or you're working pretty hard to do it, it's possible that you are, gr- like, grappling with your own implicit bias. And, like, that sucks to figure out. But it's okay. And it's like everybody has them. But, you know, we we I think that there are some areas of in which people are aware of them and work around them, even though they know that they're still in effect. I think this happens in music a lot, um, especially like journalistically uh, publications, like deciding what music to cover and what music not to cover and realizing like, oh yeah, we've like, uh, we've kind of defaulted towards mostly white musicians for a long time or mostly male musicians or something. And kind of being aware of that and trying to trying to overcome it. I think, I, I just think that the the, the entire, <laughs> when it just feels very, um, it feels very silly. It feels very end times that, like, the, that we're having this huge cultural like war over this movie. You know, it, when, when you talk about like these, these Facebook groups and these feeds where like you're only being shown people who hate Ghostbusters if you don't like Ghostbusters and you're only being shown people who like Ghostbusters if you like Ghostbusters, like the idea of the remake. I think that makes it really difficult for us to talk about things like implicit biases or to talk about like what's going on because like we don't even see the other people. Yeah. Like imagine, imagine you were part of anti-Ghostbusters Facebook. Right. Just imagine it for a minute. You have no idea that there are people out there who are like, wow, that trailer looks pretty funny. Yeah. And people who who people who have that reaction without it being in an argumentative setting, people who just see Kate McKinnon licking a, a proton pack gun or whatever and go, LOL, that's great. I love it. Like an unargumentative reaction where you're just like psyched to see the movie. I feel like that that wouldn't be a part of your your your. I don't know. Yeah, what you're, uh, what's in your landscape, and I feel like this is just a larger issue with um, algorithmic news feeding in general. I mean, 
it goes both ways too because when I was I was just being a troll yesterday on Twitter there's no other way for me to put it I was just being obnoxious on Twitter a troll on Twitter no I know I mean of all places but you know the the, the gentleman who who posted this thing about how he wasn't going to this video about how he wasn't going to review Ghostbusters his site is called Cinemassacre wow very edgy dude I well, I mean, I just, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I was vaguely aware it was, it was a genre related, like his interests are genre related, so that's fine. But like, it also just at a certain point you just get so, especially as a person who just like reads a lot of film coverage, there is so much like baked in male language to film coverage, in the same way there is for tech and video games and stuff, where it's just like, like I, I, I even like I read stuff on the site, but like screen crush, you know, it's like violent language about movies that is like inherently hostile, I think, to people who don't operate on those binaries of like things either crush or they're weak and pussified, you know, like, and and I just I just thought it was funny. So I was making up other names for film blogs along those same lines. And then all these people started coming at me being like, Oh, you don't know who this guy is? Like he's a How really, dare you? He's a really he's influential important. film writer. And I'm like, you know what? I mean, maybe that's my bad. Not that I think that I would ever follow him or be interested in his views on anything. But you know what? Like I've never been fed anything in any feed that I have, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, email from a friend. Nobody's ever shared with me a review or an article from cinemassacre.com. It's just not in my circle. And I feel like I do have a pretty wide circle when it comes to what I consume that's film related. Like all brows, all uh, like international, like all the like sci-fi, not as much horror stuff, I guess that's probably the problem. But like I, I do feel like I consume an awful lot, but that's just never been in my my feed. And so, you know, it, it works both ways. Totally. It's not like I think that we a lot of by we, I mean, people who are not incredibly angry about the Ghostbusters movie. Um, we're kind of taken aback, but that this entire thing had kind of bubbled up and that so many people were so incensed over it. But I just, you know, there's this whole group of men who get upset anytime women get to have the center of attention, I feel like. And I really kind of feel like that's what's happening here. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 that's the thing is that this is the real importance of the Ghostbusters movie. I mean, I don't even know that it's going to be great. I went to the set, um, but I, if you read my article about going to the set, um, I couldn't tell you that much about what was going on there. I don't know. Right. There was like some, like that, that article, by the way, if you guys haven't read it, you should because it's really funny. But it was like, just like, oh, I went on a. Yes, junket. I mean, I you know, I was I was probably a hundred feet away from a green screen in like a dark room. But I I mean, I talked to you know, there were roundtable interviews there. But you know, everybody's gonna say, yeah, it's going great. It's so fun. It's so funny. I mean, I'm a fan of everybody in this film. I have no reason to not look forward to it. I think. I mean, the thing that's interesting to me about there being a female Ghostbusters movie is more that it seems like, and and this speaks to the sad state of Hollywood, but like it seems like a idea somebody came up with while they were high and then actually pitched to a studio, and they're like, yeah, actually that might work. Yeah, I mean, 
I have been really into like the stoner chick renaissance that's been going on in the entertainment mm-hmm. industry lately. Where it's just like, yeah, we smoke a tremendous amount of yeah. weed and we're girls and we also would like something dumb to watch. And we want to be raunchy and make gross comments about boys. And <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm so here for it. Yeah, completely. I mean, I want to see I want to see uh, Chris Hemsworth be completely objectified. Also, he's apparently one of the funniest things in the movie, which I kind of... I, I, I can I'm 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 here for I'm I'm ready for Chris Hemsworth in this movie, <laughs> but yeah I mean but I I by no means have an established opinion about it I think a lot of it could be real corny and dumb but you know <laughs> that's the radical opinion to have right now is like yeah. but it could the, be good but the most important thing is just like if it's a success it's one of these things. That, it so far hasn't worked uh, from like uh, the heat or bridesmaids or uh, I don't know any other female-dominated film that surprisingly in quotes crushed at the box office. But you know, if if this is able to be a huge success, it could actually mean a lot more projects starring women and hopefully created by women getting greenlit. So I think that's the real that's the larger battle here that people I think are more more heated about Um, yeah well i i I don't want to i don't want to cut you off but there is also a separate cultural battle that is going on that has something to do with entertainment and something to do with public health we've talked about zika a little bit on this show and the zika virus isn't going away right like it's it's a thing it's still a thing it may come to the u.s there are posters uh for zika like wording about zika all over the nyc subway now I believe that. I, there, you know, there are a lot of mosquitoes in New York um, and a lot of people traveling. What what public health officials are really concerned about, though, is the Olympics. And in fact, the Harvard Public Health Review published a, uh, a piece uh, called Off the Podium, Why Public Health Concerns for Global Spread of Zika Virus Mean That Rio de Janeiro's uh, 2016 Olympic Games Must Not Proceed. And so just to flash everybody back a little bit, the reason that Zika became such a concern was because Brazil had an outbreak of this disease that had previously only been seen in Africa. Mm -hmm. And um, it's it's flourishing still, the outbreak. It's reached Rio de Janeiro now. And, you know, we have all of this evidence that Zika association is associated not only with uh, that that small-headed syndrome, it's called microcephaly, um, and brain damage in infants, but also with Guillain-Barre syndrome, which can sometimes lead to paralysis, encephalomyelitis, which is a brain inflammation. And these, these things can be sometimes fatal. They're pretty rare, but they happen. Right. So Zika is dangerous. Right. (laughs) And Brazil's outbreak is huge. So the 2016 Olympic and Paralympic Games, they're preparing to hold them in a place that's an active disease outbreak zone. And so all of these people are going to travel and uh, show up there. Right. Um, and, and, you know, the last time we talked about this in January, the International Olympic Committee had comer- had declared Rio safe. <laughs> they're, and but, they're such great authorities on, yeah. on safety and, and morality and other things. Well, that but, was like so, total speculation because until February, uh, Brazil's Minister of Health wasn't uh, counting cases. Wow. And so now that that data is available, it looks like the suspected Zika cases in Rio are the highest of any state in Brazil. And the incidence rate uh, for Zika is the fourth worst. So the, the Rio is like right in the middle of the outbreak is what is what the public da- health data seems to suggest. And so 
<laughs> the thing the thing that's 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 sort of terrifying here again is that there's going to be thousands of people descending upon Brazil for the Olympic Games. I think it's like 500,000 is the estimate of oh, foreign I'm sh- tourists. I'm sure at least, yeah. Cuz there's people who are going to the games and people who will just go to hang out and like soak up the scene or whatever. Right. And like, you know, all it takes is like one person who's infected, who travels and goes back to a place where the mosquitoes will carry Zika. And congratulations, you have your very own Zika outbreak. Yeah. Um, And there are a lot of reasons why I think it's going to be difficult to convince people that that the Olympic Games should be moved or canceled. Um, Mostly money, right? Yeah. The main one's money. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, I mean... (laughs) The problem is, like, you you, know, you could say, like, okay, well, you know, the sports fans who go there, they're like, they, they're, 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 they're taking their own risk for themselves. But if they return home infected, like, that's, that's risk that they're taking for everybody else. Yeah. And that, that is the problem. Right. So, you know, one of the things that I thought was interesting about this particular article was that the author suggested using moving moving the games not not canceling them entirely but just simply moving them which has happened um and i think it was the 1976 olympic winter games and the 94 winter games both um both where moved. did where did 94 move from oh god i don't remember um 94 was uh 94 was Lillehammer, i think mm-hmm I don't know. I'm I'm a big Winter Olympics person. <laughs> My memory with Winter Olympics starts with Alberville and uh which is 90 I think. So when did they when did they move? Do you know what it was for? What they when they would possibly have done that? God. Um I don't. Like I I I think Lillehammer was not supposed to be in Lillehammer, but I don't remember what specifically it was. Huh. And like I remember it was also a relatively like unpopular Olympics. Like I remember like the the worst of the worst, the Lillehammer was like a Washington Post thing. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I loved it. I was I was uh nine, I wanna say. <laughs> I feel like that's the right time for loving the Winter Olympic yeah. games. Like that's when all of the cool like figure skating is yeah. like Oh Well and that then... was the um or was it Lil No, yeah, no. It was the uh, now I'm confused. Anyway, no, it was the nineteen ninety one. That was the the uh Tanya Hardy and Nancy Kerrigan. One. Oh, you know like, what it was? It was like the skating had to move because like the ice wasn't right or something. And so it was in Hamar or like give okay. or whatever. So they moved some events and it was like mm. for environment. Like it was because the sport wouldn't work and then they, people wouldn't be able to watch it on television. Basically. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> just just check. I wanted to check what the values were behind the, yeah. <laughs> the movie. So this is the thing like WHO hasn't said anything official about Zika in the Olympics but it is it like it does seem pretty dangerous and like you know there are a bunch of Olympic stadiums in China and in London and right. elsewhere that are sitting around empty and in you Salt know, Lake City I'll in just, Salt Lake City it's just there nobody's there nobody's in Salt Lake City <laughs> like you could you could theoretically move the games and I mean people would have to change their travel reservations like it would be a kind of a logistical nightmare but on the other hand you know uh you wouldn't potentially be spreading zika around the world so that seems like it would be a good thing yeah but zika is all hypothetical and they people have already made their hotel reservations and like their like reserved banquet halls and stuff like that you know that is real that money is real and zika is like okay maybe like maybe somebody will have i'm i'm i'm, I'm being i'm not being me i'm playing a character right now um 
Well, I, no, I mean, but the, uh, as 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 funny, like as as silly as it sounds when you say it that way, I think that there is like, you know, people have already sunk money into going to see the Olympics, and like if you suddenly move it. Even if there is a public health emergency, people get pissed off. But like, I think what people fail to remember is the lessons of the Spanish flu. And I'm trying to remember whether it was, I think it was Philadelphia. It might have been Pittsburgh. People were starting to get sick with the flu. And the boys had just come back from the war and people wanted to have a parade. And certain public health officials recommended against it because having all those people out in close proximity like that is kind of ideal conditions for flu to spread. And they were overruled because it was so important to make sure that we were making a strong showing of American spirit following following the war, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, Philadelphia wound up being one of the places that was hardest hit by the flu, by Spanish influenza, because of that parade. Because people would not move the parade. Uh, a lot of people died. <laughs> well, that's American bravery. <laughs> Or American stupidity, I suppose, like thinking about how you want to look at it. But right. like, I, I think of that cautionary tale every time somebody refuses to do something when there's an outbreak going on. Like, oh, no, it's more important for us to do whatever thing. And it's like, no, you, I mean, like your disease, the, viruses don't give a shit. You know, right. viruses don't care about national pride. Viruses don't care about your money. Vice, they just don't care. Like, I cannot impress well, upon you how deeply viruses don't give a shit. I mean, I, I, a lot of this is just, I mean, I, I don't think that anybody is actually seriously weighing the the risk of Zika in this, though. There's nobody's weighing it at all. It's 100% money. I mean, like, the IOC and FIFA are basically, like, two of the most corrupt organizations that are not governmental in the world. And they have, like, taken turns just, like, basically ruining Rio. Or just, like, I, I mean, just really displacing a lot of people to make these stadiums, spending gobs of the government's money on things that could have been spent on public health programs, for instance. I mean, it kind of, it, it, if they go ahead with it and if they have the games there and if there are a bunch of outbreaks following that, I mean, I feel like I feel like people have been referring to, to Brazil as a failed state now. And I feel like a lot of that is probably due to these massive events being in Rio, like almost back to back in the scheme of things as far as like infrastructure and, and, and preparing for these huge international events. And I don't know. I mean, I, I, I would be really surprised, you know, at this point. I mean, Brazil is, is it seems like, on the edge of a financial catastrophe yeah. Right, anyway, yeah. Right? Like, that's why people keep talking about it as though it is a failed state. And, like, but I, paying, for, paying for stadiums is probably not helping it, you know? And, like, I feel like all that is sort of, like, ostensibly to rebuild the, the economy in a really misguided way. But anyway, I'm, like, not an expert on any of this. I just... <laughs> I'm probably running my mouth, but but it just seems like their, their their instincts have not been the best as a country, and I feel like the influence of organizations like the IOC and FIFA are like not helping matters. No, um, absolutely not. Everybody just everybody just wants money, you know. <laughs> and speaking of everybody wanting money, I understand there's an Angry Birds movie we need to discuss. Yeah, finally, let's get to the real news. There's an Angry Birds movie. I'm pissed. I'm already angry. I'm angry about this just like knowing it exists. So, do you want to do you want to know some of the people that are in the Angry Birds movie? Yeah, I want to know like whose movies I should never see again. Um, well, it's gonna be a little difficult. Um, let me bring it back up on Wikipedia. I'm just gonna keep going until until you ask me to stop. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay. Jason Sudeikis. 
Josh Gad, Danny McBride, Maya Rudolph, Bill Hader, Peter Dinklage, Kate McKinnon, Sean Penn, Tony Hale, Keegan-Michael Key, <sighs> Blake Shelton, <laughs> Charlie XCX, Titus uh Billy Eichner, oh. Hannibal Buress, Ike Barinholtz, uh, and Romeo Santos. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> so. And Danielle Brooks. Danielle Brooks. Great. Also. Yep. Great. This is an all-star cast for the stupidest possible movie. Maybe it's really good. I doubt like, it. Maybe they all read. Maybe their agents all read that were sent them the scripts and like, whoa, wait, this is. I mean, I was willing to take a check, but like now I'm just gonna do this for the art. Like, don't even pay me. I want to be a part of the Angry Birds movie. I mean, these are some of our our finest co- comic actors working today. You know, who knows how much money they're making off it? But well, I hope they enjoy those checks. I mean, that's all I can say about it. Like, I okay, like listen, I have played An- Angry Birds. It's one of the few video games I have some experience with, and it's a cute video uh-huh. game. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I don't need a movie. Don't you want to know about the backstory behind the pig and, and bird no, uh, conflict? I don't. I don't want to know what their dumb backstory is. I'm happy to have the pig and bird conflict be totally unexplained, just like a rule of the universe that pigs and birds hate each other. And uh, they, 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 they launch each other at each other to create explosions for reasons best known to themselves. <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of nice when it is divorced from a narrative because it's just like it's just like post symbolism. Yeah. It's just it's just it's just light, nice little images being thrown against well, each other. Well, it's also I, I think in some ways a little more realistic, weirdly, than realism <laughs> because it's not like w- the world makes any fucking sense. Right, like, shit just happens out there. Yeah. there's no backstory. Like it just happens. Yeah, I mean, you could really imagine like stumbling across some weird micro ecosystem where there are birds that that fling each other at their enemies <laughs> yes i mean um, birds do that they dive bomb yeah um, well I, I i first want to point out that this is one of these rare special films that um whose marketing budget is well over its actual production budget um, oh good <laughs> it was made for about 80 million dollars and it will have a budget of about a hundred million for marketing and distribution. So that's fun. And I, people are mad about Ghostbusters? Like really? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I don't know. I, I guess Angry Birds never starred um like for male heroes, uh and or um, you know, popular I, I don't want to throw any Never, popular never. wife beaters popular wife beaters <laughs> sorry if you didn't know bill murray was a wife beater yeah yeah like, surprise. bill murray is a wife beater surprise um FYI. yeah uh popular wife beaters like bill murray um you know th- there's not as much of a, a a spotless legacy there to be adulterated so they're uh, Rovio. Rovio. I bet you're wondering what's happening with Rovio. Have they made any? I other... am wondering what's happening with Rovio. Well, it, last year they they cut 250 jobs. They are a fin- Finnish company, which I was was brought to my attention. I think in an episode of Veep, where Selena goes to on a on a diplomatic mission to Finland, and um, they're all really really pushing the Angry Birds stuff. On <laughs> and so they cut 250 jobs. Um, it basically seems like they're putting all their eggs, so to speak, in the motion picture basket. I guess their um, their web series, their animated series, was um, successful enough. I think it was called like 
Angry Birds tunes or something. Yeah, Angry Birds tunes. That is what convinced them that they should make a, a movie of Angry Birds. And that maybe there was more money in content creation than in app building. So This is a common mistake. Yeah, never. I mean, well, just just never failed to diversify. I mean, they made a w- wise move getting getting in bed with Lucasfilm or getting, I guess, Disney. They had, um, you know, Angry Birds Star Wars. And with any luck, if this is successful, we could have the Angry Birds Star Wars movie. Um, wow. This is not out of the question. There is going to be a Lego Batman movie. So. Oh, God. Uh. Why? Why? <laughs> I why? like just delivering because this news to toys. you. That's, that's why. <laughs> I like delivering like the most you can't make it up news about the state of the film industry to people who don't pay attention because just to hear them yell it's nice <laughs> <laughs> let's look at the soundtrack to the angry birds movie because it's next no. on the wikipedia page <laughs> but well i mean there are some musicians that are in the um that are in the film so there's a track uh there's a i think an original track from from blake shelton and charlie wow. xcx what artistic integrity. <laughs> uh, there is also, they also, the soundtrack also inc- includes Rocky Like a Hurricane. So they spent some money, uh, the Scorpions are making some money off of this. Well, somebody should. Um, <laughs> yeah, just spread it around a little bit. There is a Limp Biscuit cover of a Who song, apparently. Is it Behind Blue Eyes? Yes. Yeah. Well, that's that's the mark of a quality movie right there, is an excellent I mean, use of Limp Biscuit. There's a, I mean, Never Gonna Give You Up, a famous track by Rick Astley is on the soundtrack. Oh, my God. Oh, um, my God. And also a Steve Aoki song. So there's something for everybody. Here. I'm, like, surprised there is an LMFAO while we're at it. You know what I mean? Oh, my God. Well, yeah. N- next time. Next time. I mean, there's not, there isn't the one most ubiquitous, at least movie trailer song, which is the um, T-Pain, All I Do Is Win song. That song was in, I feel like, every single even borderline comedic trailer. It was in the trailer for um, it was in the trailer for the Peanuts movie. I, apparently, it's not in the actual movie, but it, I guess everybody just decided that was like the song to um, DJ Khaled sing. played twenty seconds of it before his ADD like sprung in. Um, right, oh, yeah, but he was the opening act for Beyonce. I should mention. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Oh, nice. Um, that man has missed his calling as a preacher. He spent a lot of time telling us we were great and getting us excited. Oh my God, that's that's a wise move on her part to to bring him along. I see on the whole tour. Yeah, and so um, actually, just to take another another Beyonce detour. No, I, I love what it. they did that was really cool was they brought he brought out E forty and Too Short, which if you're not familiar, oh, local artists, nice, yeah, hometown heroes, yeah. That's like I think E forty is like my favorite thing about the Bay Area. <laughs> I, I'm like a noted non-fan of the Bay Area, but I think E-40 is my favorite part of the Bay Area. I feel like E-40 and Green Day like could make you forgive a lot of the Bay Area sins. <laughs> That's awesome. That's very exciting. I wonder who will be... I mean, you know, Taylor Swift really made a, a empire out of the surprise guest on the tour move. I, I, I'd be excited to see who if, who, if anybody, Beyonce deems worthy enough to show up as a special guest. Uh, but it sounds like... Sounds like she's off to a good start with those guys. So. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. So, you know, if you're looking to give people paychecks for dumb corporate movies, like I think E40 would probably appreciate <laughs> the opportunity. Uh, besides, Let's just bring back hyphy. I don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah. Dude, like, you know, there are like a ton of people out there who like are still making music and are not, you know, Rick Astley. 
uh, and could probably use it. <laughs> could probably use a check if you're going to be totally cynical. I mean, so, the, the the main thing to do is if you're a commercial artist of any level, you do have to have the the song that's the perfect cue for when the the movie starts to go crazy in the cre- or in the in the trailer, like the thing to signify, like, oh my god, there's so much fun being had in this movie. If you have the track that conveys that perfectly you can make a lot of money off of that yeah i also feel like there's like a secondary market for like highly dramatic music like i'm thinking specifically of the way that spiritualized i didn't mean to hurt you was used Mm -hmm. in pineapple express because there's Uh this huge grandiosity where you can like you you can imagine it and the people in pineapple express clearly imagined it yeah you can imagine like your hero walking slowly and seriously away from an explosion yeah I feel like you got a lot of that from the was that Kronos Quartet that yes. uh, but the 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 track in uh, Requiem for a Dream you know yes, what I'm that is the about? Kronos Quartet yeah well they were they were getting around on that time anyway I remember them doing a lot of tracks with Dave Matthews <laughs> <laughs> anyway we've really really shown our cards as far as our our musical. Uh, I don't even know if taste is the right word. Just like awareness. Our, our bias. Our musical yeah. bias. <laughs> it mostly consists of Beyonce, E-40, and the Dave Matthews band. <laughs> so, and um, on that note. <laughs> yeah. Take, take from that what you will. Um, I think that wraps it up for us this week. Oh, man. Can we have an assignment? I really want everybody to see Neighbors 2 Sorority Rising this weekend because it's supposed to be really, really good. Really? <laughs> yeah. The reviews coming out of it have been like, like solidly positive. Tasha's, I think, saw it last night. I haven't talked to her about it yet. But all right, well, I can't promise what the audience will do, but I will make time in my schedule to go see this. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, thank you everybody for listening to a very all over the place podcast. We had fun. <laughs> we had fun. That's what matters. And um, now we just need to like dub in like the we had fun track. All I do is win, <laughs> win, 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 win. We really started having fun towards the end there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, news. We should have put this at the top, but I will say it now. Our podcast, you can listen to it on Spotify. And oh, I word. wish you can listen to our podcast on Spotify. Well, if you don't want to listen to us on Spotify, frankly, I can't blame you. Uh, as I now pay for title, thanks to Beyonce. And so paying oh for two streaming sur- music services is a lot. Yeah. So it turns out you can also check us out on iTunes at iTunes.com slash Verge ESP. And we're also on SoundCloud and probably a bunch of your favorite podcast apps. So thanks all for listening. We'll be back next week. And uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.